Good morning. Yeah, my name is Alec. Um, I'll be bringing a couple of uh, scripture passages to us this morning. A short reading from Exodus 34, and then uh, another one from 1 John 4. So, first of all, Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 7. Uh, This can be found on the screen behind me or on page 90 of the, the Blue Bibles. So Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Then our second reading is 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 to 16, 7 to 16. And this can be found on page 1230 of the, the Bibles. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Uh, Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to hear all those Uh, conversations happening. I'm 
There'll be plenty of time uh, to pick those up again uh, as we spend time together as a community uh, in fellowship over morning tea later. But uh, So it's my pleasure, my privilege to be uh, kicking off this new series with you this morning. Uh, as has been already mentioned, over the past couple of months, we've been encouraged to ask our families and our friends, uh, what do you think God is like? And now uh, all the answers and all the feedback has uh, rolled in and been collected and we'll be addressing that one question, what do you think God is like, by actually answering four other questions. Uh, And so today we're beginning the series by considering the question, does God even care? And then as you can see on the screen over the following weeks, we'll be looking at three further questions. Is there a God? God is loving, but so what? And but which God? And of those four questions, the questions of is there a God or but which God, they're quite philosophical in nature. Uh, You can easily imagine these questions being debated by uh, academics with kind of uh, jackets on, with uh, made of tweed and elbow patches, sitting in large leather chairs. Uh, Maybe they've got surrounded by bookcases with books stacked from Uh, ceilings uh, from the floor to the ceiling. However, today's question, does God even care, comes from a far more emotional place. Sure, academics, they might like to debate this question too, uh, but this question is asked by the person sitting in the gutter, head in their hands, tears streaming down their face as they experience the harsh reality of pain, of loss, of suffering, of injustice. This is a question It's often asked from the pit of despair when we feel that sharp and painful disconnect between the way the world should be and the way that it is in reality. And if there ever was a week where that painful disconnect is overwhelmingly evident to all, surely it was this past week given all the horrifying events that have been filling our news reports all week. So today, if you feel like you're in that pit of despair, well, first of all, I want to encourage you and thank you for being here today. Uh, It's great to see you. I know that it was probably a challenge uh, to be here. And then secondly, I want you to know that you're in good company. I trust that the people here Not only do they uh, love you and they care for you, but many of them have also been in that pit. They have also asked that question, does God even care? In fact, you're also in good company because the question of does God even care uh, has been asked by many people in the Bible. They've also asked this question as they've encountered the suffering, the injustice, the brokenness of this world. Well, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is one example. He's known simply as a teacher. And he says, I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And in another passage, he says, I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, there was wickedness. And in place of justice, there was wickedness. And the prophet Habakkuk, he could not fathom God's plan to use the wicked nation of Babylon to bring judgment against his people Israel. And so he cried out, Oh Lord, 
How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. And there is strife and conflict abounds. Even last week, we're spending some time in the book of Psalms. Uh, Asaph, the songwriter, uh, the author of Psalm 73, he said, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. I could go on and cite further examples from Job, the righteous man who suffers tremendously, or from Jeremiah, who is often referred to as the weeping prophet. But I hope by now you get my point. The, the Bible and the people within it, they clearly and they openly acknowledge that our world is broken, that there is suffering, that there's pain, that there's injustice. That's actually comforting to know that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. The Bible doesn't have a view of our world that is inconsistent with our experience. Uh, But perhaps the far greater comfort is that whilst many in the Bible ask this question, God does not leave the question unanswered. And so to signpost, well, I'll take this talk in the next 20 minutes or so, it's to show you how how much God cares, how he cares tremendously, far more than any of us do. How do we know this? How can we be sure of God's care? Well, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the the five love languages, the five uh, different ways that people like to express and to receive uh, love, uh, those being uh, quality time, uh, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, and gifts, that's right. And so today, uh, my plan is how to highlight to you how God uh, shows his care, how he expresses his love in two of those ways, through his words and through his actions. And now I'm going to further break that down into three sections, and we'll look at God's caring actions in the past, God's caring actions in the present, and then God's caring actions in the future. So let's begin then by considering how God shows us he cares and how he tells us he cares with his words. The first passage this morning came from the book of Exodus and one of the major themes that runs throughout the book of Exodus is God making himself known. And this theme emerges early on in the book uh, when God reveals his divine name, the name Yahweh. He reveals it to Moses from uh, from the burning bush. And then having shown his grace and his power in redeeming the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and bringing them out through many powerful signs and miracles, Yahweh seeks to further make himself known to this people. And he enters a covenant relationship with them. That's a binding relationship in which Yahweh will be their God and the Israelites will be his people. But no sooner that this covenant relationship is established, it's broken. A heartbreaking display of infidelity, disobedience. As Moses is meeting with God atop of Mount Sinai, he's receiving the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments inscribed by the very finger of God. 
the Israelite people are at the bottom of the mountain and they're breaking the first two of those commandments as they worship a golden calf idol. To illustrate how devastating a betrayal this is, imagine if you went to a wedding ceremony and the bride and the groom are there and they each exchange their vows with one another, they each place a wedding ring onto the other's finger and then as that moment comes, the time for the first kiss, the groom, he bypasses the bride and he goes and kisses the maid of honour instead. That would be outrageous. The bride would be furious. Rightly so. And she'd be heartbroken. And so in a similar way, God is both furious and heartbroken as his people bypass him and they worship a golden calf instead. Yet Moses, he pleads with God not to abandon this uh, people, to remain faithful to the covenant relationship, even though uh, his people have not been faithful and even though they likely will continue not to be faithful. And so it's into this context that our reading for today comes. Here in Exodus chapter 34, we arrive at the pinnacle moment of God making himself known. So let's, let us read from Exodus chapter 34, uh, verses 5 through to 7 again. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Here God reveals his own character. We, uh, let's just take it back one slide, that would be helpful. Um, yeah, here God reveals his own character. He is a God full of compassion and grace, patience, overflowing with love, faithfulness and forgiveness. And it's to this comprehensive self-revelation of God's character that the Israelite people, they return to it over and over again throughout their history. Whenever they wanted to know who their God is and what he is like, they return to this description. Anytime they were unsure, does God care for us? They return to this revelation of his character. If we move on uh, to the next uh, slide, uh, you'll be able to see on the screen this description of God's character from Exodus 34 as a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. This description is quoted repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Many different books many different authors. It was a significant revelation for God's people of what God's character is like. So in how God chooses to reveal himself, how he describes himself, God says that he is a God who cares. He is compassionate, merciful, patient, faithful and forgiving. But we all know it's It's one thing to say something with our words. It's another thing then to back that up with our actions. 
And here in this uh, description of God's character, we can clearly see God tells us he is a God who cares. But let us now turn our attention to see how God shows us he cares with his actions. And as I flagged earlier, we'll consider this in three stages. Uh, God's actions in the past, uh, God's actions in the present, and then God's actions in the future. So first, let us consider God's caring actions in the past. And the clearest, the greatest evidence of God's care for this broken and suffering world is seen in the person of Jesus. In his incarnation, in his life and ministry, in his death and in his resurrection. So let's look again at a section from that second reading from today, one from 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we'll pick it up at verse 9. There it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If we want to see God's care and love for this world, we look to Jesus. In Jesus, we see the fulfillment of God's ultimate redemption plan. His plan to rescue unloving and powerless humanity from all the brokenness and the suffering and the death caused by our sin, caused by our rejection of God and to bring us into a restored and reconciled relationship with him. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And, and notice too, it's all God's own initiative. Jesus comes into the world as a sacrifice for our sin out of God's abundant love for us, despite our rejection of him, not that we loved him. Surely there's no greater act of care, no greater act of love than this. So my first application point for you all today is not for you to do something, just for you to know something. Know this, God cares for you abundantly. God loves you deeply and richly. And you can clearly see all of this when you look to Jesus. Jesus came to die so that you might have life through him. Look to Jesus and you'll see how much God cares for you. Well, moving on uh, to my next point, uh, not only has God shown how much he cares in the past through the life and the death of Jesus, but God also continues to show that he cares in the present. And he does this in two ways. And the first of those ways being in and then through his church. So let's continue on in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we'll pick it up at verse 11. There it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. God shows his love and care in the present through his church. As the people who have been shown God's love and care, we in turn 
show this love and care to one another. In fact, these markers of love and care that we have for one another, they ought to be the very thing that identify us as Jesus' followers, people who are following Jesus' example. Consider Jesus' words in John's Gospel from chapter 13. There Jesus says to his followers, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Well, as I mentioned in the interview earlier, I do have a young daughter and we do often uh, listen to the Wiggles uh, both in the car and have all the songs and dances of the car of the Wiggles in our living room also. And so I now know that the uh, red wiggle is uh, Simon, uh, the red wiggle, and Simon likes to play uh, Simon Says, where, of course, uh, in Simon Says, Simon says an action, and then uh, you have to copy the action. Well, in a similar way, Jesus says, love one another. And so we, as his followers, we do the action. We love one another. So then we must ask ourselves, are we a church that shows God's care to one another? Are we a church that loves one another? Perhaps the front line of where this loving one another, this caring for one another should take place is in our community groups. Hopefully in our community groups we pray with and we pray for one another Uh, We share words of uh, kindness and words of encouragement with one another as we meet uh, in person or perhaps uh, over a message or over a phone call. Or perhaps we express kindness and care through uh, simple acts such as uh, making a meal for someone or uh, babysitting so that uh, tired and busy parents can have a moment of peace. But hear this, God's people should know that God cares for them because his people care for them. God's people should know that God cares for them because his people care for them. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But more than loving one another within the church, God's care is to be shown to the world through the church especially to those who are on the margins of society. As God, he was giving the law to the Israelites in the Old Testament, God's heart for the marginalised, people like orphans or widows or foreigners, God's heart for them is repeatedly shown as he makes uh, and enshrines provisions in the law for them to make sure they are well cared for in their society. And similarly, when we come to the New Testament, And when we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see how Jesus has compassion on the downtrodden and he regularly interacts with and he brings restoration to those who are on the fringes of society, either because of their sickness or because of their social status. And then, of course, at the conclusion of the parable of the Good Samaritan, perhaps Jesus' most famous parable, Jesus concludes it with the command to go and do likewise. 
So my application for you to consider here is, how is this area of Golden Grove better off for having this church here? Do the people of the Golden Grove area know that God cares for them because his people, his church, this church, cares for them? Well, my great hope is that even if people in this surrounding area, even if they don't agree with, even if they don't believe everything that we believe, that they would be glad that this church is here because we love the people of this community and we look out for and we care for the less fortunate in our uh, community. Wouldn't that be a wonderful witness? Wouldn't that be a powerful testimony to our loving and caring Lord and God? So firstly, God shows that he cares in the presence uh, through the loving and caring actions of his church. And then secondly, God shows that he cares in the presence by his Holy Spirit. Let's again return to our reading from 1 John chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 13. There it says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's indwelling presence with us in the here and now, the Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to follow Jesus' example, to do those actions of loving one another, caring for one another, both inside the church and then outside the church as we show God's love to the world. Of course, God's indwelling presence in the Holy Spirit, he's also our deposit that guarantees our future eternal inheritance. And for this reason, we ought not to think of the Holy Spirit or uh, his presence as something that comes and goes, uh, here one minute and then gone the next. No, once received by faith uh, in that declaration that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, Holy Spirit does not leave us. Just like the fans of the English soccer club Liverpool, they declare to one another uh, before every match, they loudly and proudly sing out, you'll never walk alone. Jesus' promise to his followers is that they will never walk alone. Jesus' final words of the Great Commission, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, those words ring true even as Jesus sits in heaven at God the Father's right hand because his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is with us always to the very end of the age. And so we do not walk alone through the journey of this life. The Holy Spirit, he teaches us, he guides us, he illuminates the words of the Bible for us. We do not walk alone. The Holy Spirit enables us to live out our new identities as God's children. And he gives us spiritual gifts. And not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the body. For the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And especially in the depths of our despair, and our pain, our grief, we do not walk alone. Romans chapter 8 says, The Holy Spirit, he intercedes for us through wordless groans when we do not have the strength to know what to pray. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us wherever we go, further testifies to God's caring actions for us in the present. So God has demonstrated his care in the past through Jesus. 
God continues to demonstrate his care in the presence, present through his Holy Spirit and he continues to demonstrate his care through his church. And then just like on Christmas morning when there's one more gift in the bottom of that Christmas stocking, we have a further final gift in the assurance that God will take actions in the future that further demonstrate his immeasurable care for us. But now at this point, it's, it's helpful to point out that even with God showing he cares through sending Jesus into the world, and even with God showing he cares through his Holy Spirit, even with God showing he cares through his church, our world is still far from what it should be. There's still suffering, still pain, still death, still injustice. There's no doubt that all of us see that. There's no doubt that all of us feel that from time to time. Those feelings of pain, those feelings of grief, those feelings of anger at injustice, those are often all these feelings, they, they lie behind the very question we're looking at today. Does God even care? And so I want you to know today, God is not blind to all of this. God is not immune to all of this. Just like, just like us, God sees and he feels the pain and the suffering and the injustice of this world. And it grieves him. It grieves him. But we must also know that God, he's not powerless in his grief. Rather, he has a plan to bring an end to injustice, an end to death, and to bring a restora- restoration to his creation. So just as Jesus being sent to the earth the first time was a monumental event in God's redemption plan, so too will Jesus' return be a significant event in God's redemption plan. And the plain teaching of the Bible is that the resurrected Jesus is coming back to earth and he will sit on his glorious throne as king and he will judge all the living and the dead. And at this judgment, all the injustice all the wickedness that we see in our world that goes unchecked and unpunished for now, all of it will finally be held to account. That's immensely comforting, isn't it? To know that one day there will be true justice. In addition to Jesus' glorious return and wickedness and injustice finally being held to account, hear this great promise of God's future caring actions from the book of Revelation, from chapter 21. There the Apostle John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now with his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that tremendously comforting to know that God will make everything new 
that his dwelling place will be among his people. And there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. What a great God we have. What an incredible future awaits us. And so with confident and sure hope, we hold on to this vision of the new heaven and the new earth as we struggle through all the brokenness of this life and this earth. And no doubt that struggle, the struggle of this life is tough. And rightly, we look to and we long for Jesus to return. We want it to be soon. And we may wonder why. Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Why hasn't he returned to bring in this age of uh, restoration to come and deal with all the wickedness and the injustice? That's a good question to ask. And I think the answer is, Jesus hasn't returned yet because God is patient. God is patient in giving people time to repent and turn to him. The Apostle Peter reminded the early Christian believers of this. In his second letter, he says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient. He's incredibly patient. He patiently longs for everyone to turn to him in repentance and belief. So my final thought, my final application for you today is, do you have a sense of urgency in calling the lost to repent and believe before Jesus' return? God is patient. We don't know when Jesus' return will be. So do we have a sense of urgency in calling the lost to repent and to believe before Jesus comes back? My prayer is that we would be people who urgently call people to repent and to turn to the God who cares for them immensely, cares for the whole of his creation immeasurably more than we could ever know or describe. How about I pray? Our loving Heavenly Father, you are a compassionate and merciful God, abounding in love, overflowing uh, with patience and forgiveness. We thank you that you care for us. You care for us so much that you would send your one and only son, that he would come to die so that we may have life. Thank you that you care for us and that you do not leave us alone, but you give us the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to teach us, to guide us, uh, to intercede for us. I pray now that we as your church, we would be people who love one another, that we would be people who care for one another inside the church and then people who show your love uh, to uh, the people in our area in calling them to repent and believe uh, in your uh, son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.